Hi, this is the Thumbdale podcast where we discuss embedded Linux, IoT development, and anything else we might find interesting. Your hosts today are Kim and Cliff. Hey, Cliff, how are you? Yeah, doing well. How about you, Kim? I'm doing well too. Thank you. Good. Today, we have an interesting topic. Um, we are going to talk about Zephyr experiences. Um, Cliff has been working on a Zephyr port recently, and um, we will be talking mostly about um, being a Zephyr newbie to deploying a Zephyr onto a real product. So I hope this will be an interesting ride. Uh, yeah. What do you think, Cliff? Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. And maybe so, maybe we should just start off with what is Zephyr, just in case any in our audience aren't familiar with it. You probably have idea. you probably have the most history on it. So. So Zephyr is a Linux Foundation project. Um, it's an operating system for um, MCUs, or you know you can kind of think of a RTOS or a standalone applications. And it started, um, I think, you know, uh, in 2015 or 2016, uh, where Linux Foundation started this project. It was seeded by several members. Uh, especially, you know, people who are producing SSCs in this um, area. And um, they had uh, basically idea similar to what Yocto project brought in. They were trying to create common tooling and infrastructure for embedded Linux development. Similarly, Zephyr was an effort to create <clears throat> a common standard platform for um, MCUs or other real-time uh, systems or autosis and uh, the project has been doing well ever since we will kind of touch base on it as we talk about um, but what brought you uh, cliff to suffer so i think we'd like to know a little bit of the backstory yeah so we've been working on a on a project for a customer that's it has an st stm 32 h743 microcontroller on it and I should we should clarify MCU as a is an acronym for microcontroller. We've been running FreeRTOS on this on the on this project, and FreeRTOS is a is a great project. It it has a nice scheduler, a lot of nice infrastructure like queues and and different things you might need in a real time operating system. And it's it's a it's a stable uh, supported project. So we've been using FreeRTOS, and one of the reasons is the STIDE, their Cube IDE, is, is well integrated with FreeRTOS. So they have a graphical configuration tool where you, you configure the chip, you configure the IOs, the peripherals you want, and you can also configure FreeRTOS in that tool. And then this tool generates a bunch of code that then you can use as the basis for your project. So that this, you know, this is what we started with. It, it, it was working okay. But as we started to integrate more advanced uh, communication stacks like USB and Ethernet, we started to run into problems. And, and the basically things just aren't well integrated. FreeRTOS is a good core, but it doesn't have its own USB stack. 
So you, you go get tiny USB or the ST USB stack and it's kind of kind of bolted on. It's not well integrated. And there, there were just a number of holes like in the SD card driver. It just felt to me like the air handling wasn't completely thought through or implemented. And with, with a, I started to get a little concerned because this is a, a critical application where we're switching power. The thing needs to stay running. And the more complicated stacks you add, like USB and network, it's just the more unknowns you're you're adding into the project, and the and the more chance of of destabilizing the system. So reliability is, is always a hard thing, and, and I don't know if, if, we're, if we completely understand it. But anyway, I, I just felt, <clears throat> felt that a well-integrated uh, system where USB, Ethernet, and all these components we needed are, are first-class, well-integrated, supported subsystems. So that's, that's what really got me started down this path, and... I'd been hearing good things about it, so mm-hmm. you know, you know, we had a we had a change in personnel in the project, and I, I talked to the other engineer, and I said, you know, what do you think about Zephyr? And he he was game to try it. So he he took about a week, and he's he's working part time on it, and in a week he had Zephyr ported to this this product, and mm-hmm. up and running, and most of the drivers working, you know, within a week. And, and this really was exciting and, and uh, really gave us a lot of confidence that, that this, this is a good move. And mo- most of the work during that week was just simply configuration. You know, mm-hmm. it's most of the stuff's there. You just have to figure out how to configure it to make it work. Mm. So um, if I hear you right, so essentially you basically were wait- working on whatever your uh, silicon provider's SDK was providing you. And then um, as you kind of started getting to, you know, enabling features you needed in your product, you ran into uh, walls, so to speak. Um, And, you know, there were issues that you were not making good progress on. And and then you switched to kind of, hey, let's give it a shot um, mode. And I'm surprised that you know within a week you were able to bring it up on the uh, on the board, and that in itself is a uh, is a good thing about the project. So um, now, uh, what did you discover? Uh, because I know that you know the project has also gone through its own um, maturing, and mm-hmm. they've taken decisions. Um, for development, for you know, their build tools and and stuff like that over a period of time. So, what were your uh, findings when you started playing with it? Yeah, Zephyr takes a very different approach than may, most other um, microcontroller real real time operating systems, and it feels a lot more like Linux. That's basically the the summary. So, to people who have have done Linux development, it feels very comfortable because they use the kconfig configuration system. And I'll, I'll say a thing, and they also use device tree, which those of us who work with ARM 
Linux system on chips, we're very familiar with device tree. And while these things are kind of, they're complex, you know, let's not, let's not have any illusions that it's easy. They're complex and there's a lot of knobs to turn. But the nice thing about this is everything that you may need to change has been abstracted through these configuration mechanisms. So it's, it's not like a bunch of generated code where you don't really know what you need to change and what you don't. You just have to go in and start porting. And then the new version of the tool comes out. Now I'm talking about the classic MCU tools. And you regenerate your code and some of your stuff gets overwritten if you aren't careful about isolating your changes. None of that was Zephyr. You know, everything that you might need to change is abstracted. In device tree or the uh, K config, and so th that's is a very granular configuration system, and this allows you to build like an R an RTOS for a tiny little system, you know, which is just a bare minimum, just a scheduler and and maybe a UART driver and things like that, all the way up to USB stacks and network stacks and MQTT and you, you know a whole host of of other protocols. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the big one, Kim, is the uh, configuration. Uh, the other th thing is it's very command line driven. So mm -hmm. again, you check out a Git repo, all the tools, there's a tool called West, which drives the build. <clears throat> and this tool is, is a command line tool. You type West build, you type West debug, you type West update, you, you know, just it's uh, it's very comfortable for those of us who like command line tools. Uh, command line tools, again, this was very refreshing because I came from the ST graphical environment where there was no command line way to, to, to do a build mm. other than um, basically script running the IDE, which is a big Java Eclipse thing using the command line. So basically you need the, the whole IDE and you fire it up with some command line options, you know, if you want to do a command line build. And and I could go into a lot of details there. I mean, I, I know there's other workarounds, but it's it's not a first-class citizen there. Mm -hmm. So with, so I'll just say with one of, with, you know, the emphasis on CI and CD, those build flows, it's it's really nice to have a command line flow. I agree. I agree with you. I think especially having something like a a source control managed, uh, you know, configuration management and mm -hmm. all those things being part of a single repository gives you a, a, a incremental environment, which basically is trackable. And actually, you really can track your changes across everything that you're, you know, either changing the source code configurations, everything. Yeah, I'll, I'll make a note there. One of the engineers on the project was comparing the the STCube IDE, which is an XML-based file. So if you change something in the graphical IDE, you know, dozens of lines will sometimes change in that XML file. Mm. And if you have two people making changes, you, soon you get conflicts that you can't merge anymore because XML is, isn't really designed to be merged. Mm. But device tree and kconfig are very simple. Uh, configuration, text space, readable languages. 
So they're very easy to change. If I add a kconfig option and the other engineer does, we can easily merge our changes. Mm. So easy to work with. Dovetails exactly with what you said. Yeah. So, um, so what were like some of your, um, you know, experiences with respect to the architecture of the code, like the HALs and, you know, how, how, what's their approach towards, uh, portability? Yes. So they, they make ex extensive use of macros. Mm. Which may be good or bad. <laughs> yeah. It's, they're very hard to read and debug, but they're very convenient to use. So to instantiate a queue, you just you just plop down a macro and it it uh, takes care of declaring it, instantiating it, initializing it, mm -hmm. and it's it's almost like a meta programming mm -hmm. language inside Zephyr. It's very different from anything I've ever seen, but it's it's also very interesting and mm -hmm. it seems to work. Um, no C plus plus, so Zephyr is all C, mm. so that can be. Good or bad, however you look at that. Yeah, and the uh, back to the differences between other RTOS models. Most most MCU vendors have a graphical tool, and they'll pull in an RTOS like FreeRTOS or or um, MicroC OS or one of those other ones. So they'll integrate it and they'll put their stuff in, and then they'll deliver the tools to their users. Mm -hmm. So every MCU vendor is doing this. ST, SI Labs, Microchip, they all have their own IDE. They pull in stuff, integrate it, give it to the vendor. Zephyr does the complete opposite. So instead of MCU vendors integrating Zephyr into their tools, their MCU vendors are providing a HAL, or a hardware abstraction layer, and Zephyr is pulling it into their GitHub space so every HAL that Zephyr supports is in the Zephyr GitHub space. Mm. And I don't know how they manage that, but it's it's different than anything else we see out there. Mm -hmm. So it's completely flip-flop. Zephyr does the integration. Zephyr delivers to the customer. The support is done in Zephyr uh, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And all these MCU v vendors are just feeding their HAL into Zephyr, and they're also providing engineers that do support right into Zephyr main repo. Cool. So I don't know so if now, that answers your question or? Yeah, it does. It definitely does. So I think it's um, essentially um, providing support for where it matters and where the subject matter expertise is and making its way for that. It's not a monolith from that aspect. Uh, but yet it gives you the benefits of being a monolith. So I think it's amazing. Yeah. So uh, so now tell me more about the story, you know, where now, okay, you basically tried Zephyr and, you know, it turned out to be good so far. And, you know, you looked at, read through documentation, found out these things. So now you've ported it and it's kind of blinking the LED, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And um, so... So tell about more on what were your then, you know, now the, the real work starts where you need to kind of get drivers and things that you really need for your products. So how was that like and mm -hmm. uh, what what were your experience? So we're very dependent on USB mm -hmm. and we did some initial testing and USB seemed to work because our device would enumerate on the host and 
and it was super easy and we thought we thought we had it made and then we we started to push data over it and the USB stack started locking up and we we spent a couple days debugging it and couldn't couldn't get too far so then I I asked on Discord and one of the ST engineers told me to open up a GitHub issue and so a lot of the Zephyr developers are in Europe. I think the ST team is in France, and then Nordic Semi is in, um, I forget where, but somewhere in Europe, and, and they're very heavy into Zephyr development. So the next morning, one of the, one of the Nordic engineers had a, had a fix for me for this USB problem. Mm. So it's a very interesting scenario where all these developers from all these different companies are working in one repo and they're actually supporting each other's customers and it's it's not your typical MCU scenario where everything's in silos and and it, this may seem a little disconcerting to some MCU vendors but really it's it's the only as the complexity grows it's the only sustainable approach you know, because no no one company has the resources to support all the problems we, we're going to see on these complex systems and stacks. Mm-hmm. So that that got us going. Uh, we ran into a few other problems, but managed to work through them. There's the USB stack on the STS STM thirty two H seven forty three is is definitely not finished. Mm-hmm. There are issues with it, but at least at this point, there's workarounds that give us give us the bandwidth we need, and we can at least move forward and continue to to work with the community on improving it. Mm-hmm. So now, if we look at um, you know the community support, is essentially you know uh, what I'm seeing you say here is that it's important that you know or rather it's helpful in deciding whether you have a good community around the project. Mm-hmm. And that can come and help you, or you can basically uh, go and discuss, you know, even in some cases, it may not be a direct help, you know, like what you described, but it could just be, uh, hey, am I doing it in the right way? And you can kind of, you know, open a GitHub issue and discuss it over there. And so it kind of helps you uh, also to do the things that are just yours to do it in a, in a right fashion. So it's kind of, uh, I see it that way too. Sure. So, so they follow Discord for uh, for discussions, which is interesting. So mm-hmm. they have moved away from IRC and you know whatnot. <laughs> so uh, interesting. Yeah, they're uh, they're very progressive. They use Discord for chat, mm-hmm. and yeah. and they also use GitHub uh, issues and discussions, and of mm-hmm. course pull requests. You know, so it's it's not the typical. Linux-like workflow mm-hmm. or patches on a mailing list and yeah, IRC and, and, and email. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very very modern, very progressive, and mm-hmm. again, different people have preferences. I'm not saying one's yeah one's better for for a community the size of the Linux kernel. You know, their workflow is probably still the best, but for a smaller community like Zephyr, yeah. I feel it's much better served by pull requests mm-hmm. than p- 
patches on an email list, especially you've got all these people coming from traditional MCU development. You know, they barely know Git, mm-hmm. let alone patches and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. And, and younger people, too, that were, were raised in the Git era. Yeah. You know, they're not going to have the patience to to format patches and mail them and, and, and deal with that. So I, I think it's the right approach for that size mm-hmm. project. Yeah. So tell me about more on what interesting things you found out once you start kind of getting knee deep into, into Zephyr. Uh, are there some things, some uh, insights or some things you found interesting that you didn't expect? Yeah, probably the first thing is the Zephyr shell. And the shell is a terminal that typically you use over a UART or USB serial. Mm-hmm. And this is like your, your DOS shell or your Unix bash shell or on Mac OS you have shells. Mm-hmm. The polish in Zephyr in, in certain areas is, is amazing and the shell is, is one of these. It's, uh, it's very complete so like in FreeRTOS, we had a shell, but it didn't support backspace properly. It didn't support uh, up arrow or tab completion or any of that stuff, but the Zephyr shell does. It supports colors, tab completion, uh, up arrow gives you previous commands. You know, if you're, if it's spewing out log messages and you type something, what you're typing remains at the bottom of the screen. Mm. underneath the log messages scrolling above until you complete that command and then it gets thrown into the log flow mm. but it it's it's nice because if you want to type like um, kernel threads to see what your threads are doing you can do that at the same time you're scrolling log messages and then just scroll up and see what the output of that command was mm. so that's that probably yeah, yeah, the shell is is pretty flexible, and they have a lot of different transports. I haven't looked at them all, mm-hmm. but projects like the Beagle Connect Freedom, they're actually piping the Zephyr shell over a radio connection back to a Linux host. Mm. So there's there's a lot of abstractions like that in Zephyr, which allow you to plug things together, kind of like Legos. So probably the other thing that was was uh, interesting in Zephyr is the logging mechanism. And again, being a, an old Linux guy, printf debugging is very comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. That's how I typically debug. And a debugger is typically only used in the case of a crash. And this is different than most MCU developers. Most MCU developers are very used to using their breakpoints and, and uh, using a, a debugger where you set breakpoints, you stop, you inspect values and and those are powerful tools but it's it's um with more complex data flows and uh, stacks and subsystems hundreds of thousands of lines of code it becomes very impractical at some point to single step through Mm. you know this much code so the zephyr logging has a few features I, I really like. They have a, a nice set of uh, functions that, that allow you to print error warning um, information, debug, you know, your standard log levels. It's super easy to add logging to any module. 
So you just define the logging for that module at the top of the C module. And then if you do log underscore dbg in that module, it'll automatically apply that log message to that domain that you specified at the top of the module. I don't know how they do this. It's magic, but somehow with all their macro stuff, they can, yeah. they can make all this happen. So then you have all these domains, and a typical Zephyr project might have 50 logging domains. You know, you have USB, you have UART, you have like a bunch of kernel domains. And then your application code might have a dozen different logging domains. And you can enable or disable or set the levels of all these domains at runtime in the shell. So if you're running into a problem in one area, you just crank up the logging for that domain and and uh, and you can you can quickly see. So again, with complex data flows and data paths, you know, having the ability to trace through history what's going on is very effective. Mm -hmm. Interesting, so. yeah. And and I guess um, you know these are like really good features that probably uh, a power developer. They empowered the developer to kind of uh, be very flexible about, uh, you know, what or quick about their um, their problem solving. So additional steps, I guess, um, inspirations from a system like Linux mm -hmm. um, all along. And I think this is a good thing. You know, sometimes you want to take good learnings from one project to another and vice versa. And I see this as one aspects of the project Zephyr project here where you know they they looked around the best practices around different successful projects and then they sort of adopted them in their own way mm -hmm. uh, you know you mentioned about shell typing and i don't use a serial console on linux because it's spewing messages i can't type anything in there yeah because the characters yeah. disappear before you finish typing it yeah yeah and this is a little thing, but because, you know, they paid attention to it because, you know, most of the time on Linux systems, you can SSH into the system. So you mm -hmm. really don't do the, the serial uh, stuff unless you're bringing it up, uh, you know, at a board bring up level. But here, you know, terminal is a big interface into the MCU. So paying attention to that, doing it properly in that way is, is really powerful, in my opinion. Right. And I'll, I'll just mention one other thing. The, you know, in a, in a traditional debugger, you may set a breakpoint and then go start peeking through memory mm. to inspect memory. So I had, a, I had an issue where I was de debugging some encoding of some serial data. And I had to do a dump of the data, hex dump of the data. And since I wasn't using a debugger, I started looking at the logging and... and Sure enough, they have a log underscore hex dump underscore debug. Mm. So I can just pass it a buffer and a length, and boom, it outputs a nicely formatted hex dump of my data mm. on, in the shell. And so, you know, a, a logging really gives you a lot of the same capabilities as a debugger. Mm -hmm. And again, there's trade-offs. In some ways, it's slower. In other ways, it's a lot better. But really, you can you can peek at any any value you want, and yeah. it's in some ways, you know, where you're 
you're tracing through a big long complex path it's it allows you to see it's much more efficient in, in some mm. ways so do you have um, you know any um, comments on the tooling and performance or things of that nature you know how are are you still exploring those areas yeah we're very pleased with the tooling they you know you just type west flash and and it uh it programs right through an st link you know so all that worked out of the box a couple mm -hmm. times when things were crashing i've used the debugger and that's just command line gdb there mm -hmm. may be a way to integrate this with a like a visual studio code or something for, if mm -hmm. you want a graphical debugger but i've never bothered yet so with the command line debugger i run it wait till it crashes or stop it and then do a backtrace and then you can quickly see see where you got stuck or or what mm -hmm. happened performance has been quite good we've been like i said running uh, 15 kilohertz data over usb and encoding that we've been doing some protobuf encoding as far as we can tell we're, we're barely using a percent or two of the cpu to do all mm. that no. So hopefully they're telling us the truth because I'll be disappointed if, <laughs> but overall it feels like the stacks and everything are, are implemented where there's not code just spinning and, and burning CPU cycles. It seems like it's, mm -hmm. it's been done right. So we're, we're pleased with that. Cool. So um, any challenges you see or any places where if somebody from Zephyr community is listening to this? Um, you have some messages. Yeah, yeah. Configuration can be hard and challenging mm -hmm. because there's there's thousands of knobs to turn and tweak. So, um, you know, they, they try to document everything, but it's it's such a big system that you know the documentation is pretty good, but again, there's there's holes in it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to be uh, comfortable falling back on the community for support, being patient. The Zephyr uses system calls, so it's kind of like a an OS where the system calls go through some type of mechanism where it's just not a strict function call. So if you're tracing through the code and you hit a system call, you'll see a discontinuity in the code that you can't really easily follow it through. So th those those are kind of the challenges, but it, it's it's one of those things that if you're comfortable working with a community they're they're it's a very friendly community and they're very committed to helping you get through through mm -hmm. the issues so nice so uh, where are you um, with your deployments as of now and what's your opinion would you be uh, reusing zephyr elsewhere or what would you recommend for people who are looking you know, who are in this doldrums of what to use yeah it, it's obviously not for everybody so especially if, if you're coming from more of a traditional electrical engineer slash MCU engineering role. There, there is a significant learning curve. But I also feel like it's, it's one of those things where you, you pay now or you pay later. So you can use a graphical tool from ST or Scilabs. Those are the two I've seen recently. They'll generate a boatload of code. They'll get you running quickly. But 
now you've got a boatload of generated code and now what you know if you want to upgrade to a new version of the tool um, you know that you're pretty much bound to their release schedule where they deliver you know a binary of the tool it's not a git repo that you can just check out and so so what you see in zephyr happening all the time is there'll be issues and somebody will fix it they'll push a code push the code into the main Zephyr repo, you can pull it and boom, you've got that fix. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, if you're doing a complex system and you want to maintain it over a long time, uh, Zephyr is, is built to do that. It'll help you be more efficient long-term, but there's probably a, a bigger learning curve short-term. And again, I, I feel with the complexity of modern MCUs, Zephyr, the Zephyr approach eventually will will win because it's the only way we can do this much work. You know, we're it, it, it's it's really the question: Do you work on things that are bigger than you or smaller than you? Mm -hmm. what, what's your vision? And companies that are playing in Zephyr, their vision is: We want to be part of something that's bigger than us. Yeah. And in the end, that will pull them along, too, because, you know, if, if your part is well-supported in Zephyr, that's a huge advantage. Cool. So um, thank you for sharing your experiences uh, of, you know, Zephyr from zero to hero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So we, we enjoy using it. And if anyone has experiences or questions or need help just reach out and we'd be glad to glad to discuss it thank you thanks for uh, listening and um, um, you know if, um, there are more uh, learnings that we have with suffer in future uh, cliff uh, we'll probably have to do a follow-up episode to kind of talk about your uh, uh, you know wartime stories in future <laughs> i guess once you kind of push this into a real real world you know scenario yeah we'll definitely have a zephyr v2 here at some point so yeah, yeah. thank you yeah thank you